Good morning. I would like to join the other brethren in, in expressing my gratitude in your being here this morning. It is God's purpose for us to come together to build each other up, to strengthen one another. And by your presence here, you have done that for me today. Um, I encourage you to grab a Bible. We'll use the PowerPoint this morning. But I encourage you to, to take out God's Word, to examine the things that we will talk about today. Um, it is my prayer when I get up to speak that I present nothing that is outside of God's intention for us in presenting His Word to us. So as we go through this study this morning, I encourage you to take God's Word to measure the things that are there. If I say something that is different than you have heard or that you disagree with or that you think God's Word disagrees with, I encourage you to come to me and present that to my attention because my intention is to be true to God's Word and to help each of us take something from here that we can put to use in our lives. We're going to spend some time talking this morning about pride and full disclosure, this at one time was two sermons. I have condensed it into one and this is the first time I'm giving it since I've done that. Um, I hope the flow is right, and I hope that there will be things that we can talk about this morning that will be beneficial to each of us. I believe that especially in the country that we live in, pride is just part of our human condition. Think about the things that we're taught from a very, very young age. Things that have very innocent beginnings, things that have very innocent meanings and intentions, but that can morph into something very ugly and very sinister in the life of a Christian and pull us away from where God would have us to be. For instance, how often do you hear, take pride in your work? That's commonly stated, commonly said. You take pride in what you do. And, and I believe what we mean by that is that we should be honorable in the things that we do. God's Word addresses that, that the things that... Our hands find to do, we do them heartily as unto the Lord. But what that morphs into and, and what we find in our lives is that the things that we do, we begin to be puffed up by those things. We're proud that you're here, we're proud to be a part. I don't know how many times I've heard recently, especially around the community of Hell Center, that we're proud your family is here. And I, I always cringe at that, and it's because of this study, and I believe those people are genuinely saying, we're pleased that your family is here and that you're a part of this community now. But that pride factor is always there. So let's get into God's Word this morning. We're going to begin in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse number, or reading verse number 16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That word pride there in the Greek is only used two times in the New Testament. It's here, and we'll look at the other verse in James in just a minute. And then the word proud is used five times in the New Testament. And we'll look at some stuff from the Old Testament because God's view of pride has never, ever changed. He has always felt the same way about it. And God's view and His consistency with those things is something I believe we want to establish in our lives. And what is God's view of that? But we're going to take the Thayer definition of that this morning. It's G212, and I'll let you try to pronounce that. I'm not a, a Greek scholar. But it's an empty braggart talk, or an insolent and empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources and shamefully despises and violates divine laws and human rights. An impious and empty presumption which trusts in the stability of earthly things. It's trust in ourselves. Trust in our own abilities. Trust in the things that we can do. 
Trust in my ability to be a self-made man. Whatever those skills and resources are, we have a tendency to focus on those things. Look what I've built, look what I've done. And not giving glory to whom glory is due. All things we have are and can be are from God. Without Him we are nothing. But it's an insolent and empty assurance. Trust in our own power and resources. And more than that, where pride really does us harm is it causes us to despise others. It causes us to focus in on where others are inferior to us and how that we are better than they are. Which is the exact opposite mentality that Christ has taught us to have as Christians. It flies directly against God's Word and how He would have us to live. I believe a lot of times what we mean and what we should say and, and where we are is well pleased. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. It says, And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Oftentimes, I believe we say we're proud when what we mean is well pleased. We say we're proud of our children when what we should say is that we're pleased with our children. Unless, indeed, we're really using our children to boost ourselves up to become puffed up in the abilities and the achievements of our children, which is something I believe we have to guard against. Look what God the Father said about His Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know what else God could have said about Jesus Christ right here, but He didn't? This is my beloved Son in whom I am glorified. God can't be puffed up. God will not be puffed up because God deserves all of the glory. And Christ came and He did glorify God. And I don't believe there's any idle or accidental words that flow from the mouth of God and He chose to say that in His Son He was well pleased. And so I believe that is a stance we should take and, and we should examine those instances when we want to say we're proud, are we truly well pleased or are we being puffed up? The other verse where um, G2.12 is used, James chapter 4, verse 16 says, But now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. This is the passage where James talks about those who boast of tomorrow, those who talk about going into another city and buying and selling and getting gain. And it's interesting when you look at this compared with the seven-eyed fool in the book of Luke, what was it God charged that man with? It was this exact attitude. I have many goods bestowed up for many seasons. I'll take my ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Thou fool, this night thou so, thy soul shall be required of thee. He didn't know what was on the morrow, but he was making boasts of things that were outside of his control. We boast in our lives. We, the ESV renders this verse that we glory in our pride that we take glory in our own pride of what we can do and what we can accomplish. And the problem with that is it pushes out of our mind the everlasting and the ever-loving God who provides for us, who cares for us, and just as this seven-eyed fool, we don't worry about our soul because we've got the things of the flesh taken care of. 
we want to look at God's view of pride and establish what God's Word has to say about pride. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And I, I believe we could really stop right there. That settles it. This is one of the seven deadly sins, pride is. He says, even though hand joined in hand, he will not be abundant. There's no strength you can gather against God. There's no measure, though in our own minds we puff ourselves up against God, that will keep God from punishing the proud in heart. Look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty, and upon every one that is lifted up, he shall be brought low. The prophet Isaiah prophesied against those who were proud. Daniel, in the Psalms, sang a lot about those who, the proud that had set snares out against him, the proud that were levied against him, and asking God to bring them down. We have a promise from God, everyone that is lifted up shall be brought low. Now the day of the Lord here is speaking specifically about God's judgment coming in the book of Isaiah, but is God going to change His judgment against the proud? The same yesterday, today, and, tomorrow, and forever? Shall be brought low. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. I don't know about young ladies as much, but I can tell you as a young man, I lived this verse a lot. There's one instance that will forever stick out in my memory. Um, Rachel knows of it, and, and it's an embarrassing story to tell on myself, but um, in the house my parents live in, my brother and I used to have a basketball goal set up. Well, Rachel had just got to Mom and Dad's house. She'd come in for a weekend visit. And uh, I had set this folding, aluminum folding chair up. Well, Jeffrey and I were shooting baskets. And as she pulled up, I ran up and jumped off of that chair and was going to throw the ball down in the basket. And as I jumped off that chair, the middle of the chair went whoop. And I end over end, the basketball flew off. Now, I wasn't seriously injured from that, but that's a very literal application of that verse. I was trying to lift myself up with pride in a folding chair, and neither worked. Pride goeth before destruction. And let's make this very real to our lives, because when we're proud and we're assured of ourselves, when we're assured of our own ability to, to provide for ourselves, of our own ability that we are righteous, we don't need God. And if we feel like we don't need God, we won't come to God. And if we don't come to God, we are headed for destruction. Better is the humble spirit with the lowly than divide spoil with the proud. Let's look at some examples of pride, and I've got three that I want to look at today. These are, as I think about pride and humanity, three that stick out very, very evidently to me. The first is Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, 
that they may have hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Now it's easy for us to look at Pharaoh and, and look at that example and say, How could he not know who the Lord was? Well, Pharaoh was a god in Egypt. He was up there with some of their top gods. He was it. And so when they come to him and say, the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go, he says, why should I obey God's voice? Who is this God you speak of? I'll tell you, what we don't often see is how that we have put ourselves in the place of Pharaoh, not among a nation, but in our own lives. We have clear and evident teachings in God's Word that religious establishments look at and say, we reject that. What they're not saying outright is, who is God that I should be mindful of Him? Or that I should obey His voice? We will not heed to these commands. And that's what pride does to us. It puffs us up and puts us in the place of God. Which is exactly what Pharaoh had done. King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. <clears throat> the king spoke, spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and the honor of my majesty? Now, Nebuchadnezzar was destined for heartache. He had already been warned of God who had delivered his kingdom to him, who had made his kingdom great. Well, Nebuchadnezzar looked out at all the things that he had and the great kingdom that was established under him for him by someone else. And he said, look at this great Babylon that I have built by my power to my honor and my majesty. Was it wrong for Nebuchadnezzar to be the king of a great kingdom? No. God had sanctified the kingdom of Babylon to execute his judgment. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king. The problem was he took honor to himself that didn't belong to him. And I feel like that's a danger for us, especially in this country, to look at the things that I have established and the things that I have built. All the while not giving credit to God for giving us the opportunity, for putting opportunities and things in our lives, people in our lives that are blessings to us, for giving us a mind that is capable of conducting business, of handling affairs, of building wealth, and of living in a country where those things come so readily to us. How often do we hear, he's a self-made man, they're a self-built industry. And those things can be kind of innocuous. They're meant with good intentions. But what they do is they act like that air pump to puff us up and encourage us. That's Satan whispering in our ear, look what you've accomplished. Look what you have done. Look how great you are. And the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. We'll begin there in verse number 9. 
says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. We'll pause right there. We have the religious elite and viewed as the religious destitute. And not just viewed as the religious destitute, publicans were hated. And Jesus used these examples intentionally. Think about the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Publicans were hated by their own people, seen as traitors, sellouts, for money, for gain. But we're told the reason that he spoke this parable, that they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So we have a Pharisee and a publican that go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Christ in another teaching said, Except our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, we shall no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, this was the righteousness of the Pharisees. The religious elite. Those who saw themselves as being just before God, and not because God gave them the law or was able to make them just, but because they earned it. Because they were Jews, because they were born into the religious elite. Look at what this man says. I thank you that I'm not like other men are. And then list off some really terrible people. I'm curious, I mean, he picked the worst of the worst for this group. Extortioners, unjust, and adulterers. And again, we've talked about who they thought the publicans were. But that wasn't enough. He felt the need to tell God about all of his greatness. In case you missed it, Lord, this is what I do. I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. This is a dangerous, dangerous mindset. Because what we do when we work hard to obey God's law, what happens when we work hard to be the kind of Christian God would have us to be, is Satan comes and whispers in our ear, look how just you're being. Look how holy you are. God is lucky to have you. God is lucky that you're a Christian, you're part of His church. Look at the things that you do. You go to church every Sunday. When others are out at the lake, you're gathered around the communion. You're there when the doors are open. You give to the needy. And maybe we don't come out and say it, but sometimes in our hearts we're lifted up, much like this Pharisee. And basically his prayer was this, God, thank you that I'm so great. Thank you for me being great. And by contrast, we have this publican, this lowly publican, traitor to his people, a sellout, 
willing to extort from his own kind, from his own people that were already under the rule of another nation. God be merciful to me, a sinner. This man understood who he was. He had no delusions because he held a place over those that were round about him. And in the parable, Jesus says, this man went down justified rather than the other. Why? Because he that humbles himself, God will exalt. But he that exalts himself, God will humble. Think about what we read in Isaiah. Those that are lifted up shall be brought low. Has God's stance changed on pride? Has God's stance changed on those that would lift themselves up? What Christ says in Luke 18 indicates that he is not. There are specific problems caused by pride, and for sake of time, we will not cover all of them. But these are the things I feel like are readily evident when pride becomes a problem in the church. And number one is a lack of self-awareness. I call this being tone deaf. You're, you're tone deaf to yourself. You just cannot see who you are. Revelation chapter 3 verse 17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This is the church at Laodicea, and they were in a very rich part of the world, in a very rich city. And this church felt like they had it going on. They were well established in a well established part of the world. And they felt that they were excellent. But through that feeling of excellence they had in themselves, they had forgotten about God. They did exactly what we talked about a while ago. They puffed themselves up. They became elevated in their own eyes. And they began to lose the sight for the need of God. I am in need of nothing. And God says you're wretched and that word, just have always felt like there are words that mean what they say, and that one is just one of them. I've never wanted to be called a wretch in all of my life. Just rough and miserable and poor and blind and naked. These people that felt like they had everything, God says, you have nothing. You were completely without. And he didn't mean in the physical sense. In the physical sense, I believe this church did have an abundance. But they were completely lacking in things they needed from God. I encourage you, read the rest of that passage. God tells them to seek from him. To turn to him and get the things that they had need of. It wasn't physical. But what they had lost was the spiritual. Another problem with sin is it's contagious, not just sin, with pride. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26 says, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. When we desire glory for ourselves and we're a person that is constantly going out and seeking others to build us up and not so veiledly fishing for compliments... That begins to turn people off, and not just as it turns them off, but it provokes them to start doing the same. There's lots of ways we can provoke one another, and I see a lot of provoking in my household. My kids provoke each other constantly, but it's not the way we're told to. Hebrews 10, 24 says to provoke one another to love and good works. There's a good way that we can provoke one another. But then there's this way. 
we can provoke each other to sin. We can provoke each other to envy. To cause one another to want to build themselves up because we're building ourselves up. When we change our focus from God to ourself, that spreads throughout a congregation. It will kill Christian lives. It can kill churches. Provoking one another and envying one another. And I'll tell you, at its core, the biggest problem caused by pride is that there's a lack of love. Christ said, have love one for another, and thereby men shall know you're my disciples. Love is a mark of our discipleship to Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. In this chapter, God is, or Paul is talking about those that have knowledge that know meat offered to idols is just meat. And they're willing to put their knowledge above the good of another Christian to eat that and cause their brother to sin. Because they have knowledge. They know, and, they, and they're well established, they're the stronger brother, so I know it's okay for me to partake. There's a lack of love there. And that's what Paul addresses in this chapter. We don't have love for each other when we're willing to put what we want in our knowledge above the good of our brothers and sisters. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. As I was working on this sermon, I'd read puffed up over and over again. That's what I thought of. You know, something that's puffed up. A bouncy house. There's a structure there. But what happens in a windstorm? What happens when this comes against anything of any substance? What's well, going to blow away? Knowledge puffs up. He says, charity edifies. And I love this picture because there's a group of people here working together on a, on a solid structure. You want to build up? Have love for each other. Don't have pride against one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 4 says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. I submit to you that where there is pride, there cannot be love. Not agape love, which is what this charity here is. Charity is not puffed up. It's kind, doesn't envy. Where does envy come from? Our desire to be better than somebody else. Our desire to have more than somebody else. To be more than somebody else. And to be recognized for our own greatness. Doesn't parade itself. That's what that vaunteth means. Galatians 5. Provoking one another that love or that it, pride is contagious. We parade ourselves and demonstrate ourselves to show how great we are. So where there is pride, there cannot be love. They will not cohabitate. They will not coexist. So how do we combat it? 
I've said, and, and maybe it's not as the same for you as it is for, for me. I struggle with this. In a very real sense, I was brought up reading Louis L'Amour books, watching John Wayne movies, these great American men, cowboys. People didn't walk over them, you didn't mess with them. They were tough. Well, that mentality was kind of ingrained into me, and as I, as I began to grow and learn, I saw that, man, that flies in the face of a lot of what God and the way God would have me to be. So as I did this study, I wanted to know, how do we combat this attitude, this mentality in our life? Well, first we have to acknowledge God. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Don't build yourself up, but understand who you are. Think soberly. That's what that means, to see clearly. See clearly. That without the blood of Christ being shed for us, we're all lost to the condemnation of hell. That without the gifts and abilities that God has given us, we can't do the things that we do for the church. And that having those skills and ability doesn't make us greater than someone else. It rather, it gives us responsibility to exercise and use those things for the glory of God's kingdom. According as God has dealt the measure of faith. John chapter 15, verse 5, the teaching of the true vine. Christ says, without me, you're nothing. I am the true vine. And we need to come to acknowledge that in our lives. And to look at the things and the abilities we have, not as opportunities to bring glory to ourselves, but if we have skills, those are responsibilities that we have to God's kingdom. Consider the parable of the talents. God knows our skills and abilities. He gives those. And when we properly put those to use in His kingdom, we're doing exactly what He has put us there to do. Not what we have established and what we can accomplish on our own. And we combat pride with love. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. You combat, combat pride by striving to have the same mind. That doesn't mean you're all going to think the same way. I said the last Wednesday that I spoke, you want to know why we have plurality of teachers? Because we all think and see things a little differently. We're all coming at things from a different place. But when we have the same mind to love one another, when we have the same mind that our desire in life is to be pleasing to God, then we're of one accord and of one mind. That's how we unify around Christ. Don't do anything through strife. Or vainglory, that's glory seeking for ourselves. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. You want to combat pride? Change the way you think. Put your, the needs of those around about you ahead of the needs of yourself. And learn to sacrifice. Learn to submit to those that are around about you. especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. But I'll tell you, when you take this 
mentality, when you take this thought process out into the world, that is going to blow their minds. Because that is not what we're being taught in society today. I wish I could count the number of self-help books that teach us to look out for ourselves. You want it, you go after it. I heard a guy talking on sports radio the other day about if you're going to accomplish anything in life, you're going to have to step over and through people. And that's just the way it is. That's business, right? That's, it's just business. What about when you esteem others as better than yourself and that you're not willing to do that? That may mean in, in this life, sometimes we're going to miss out on business opportunities, promotions, or things that can put us further ahead for now. But we'll receive a reward from God that goes far and above, far above and beyond the things that we can hope to receive in this life. Lowliness of mind, let others esteem others, let each esteem others better than themselves. Think about 1 Corinthians 13 that we talked about. Love and pride can't cohabitate. So when you do the things talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, and it's a very difficult and intentional choice to not seek your own, to don't to not parade yourself, to not envy. To step back when you feel those things coming on and say, I will not be this way. Pride goes away. And if you're a person like me that has struggled with pride, that fight gets easier. It's difficult at first because you have to retrain your brain in the way you think. But you can learn to esteem others better than yourself. And we can do that by following the example of Christ. Go down to verse 5 in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name. Not only was Jesus not willing to walk over anybody, He was willing to make Himself part of His own creation. It was not robbery for Him. He was stealing nothing from God to consider Himself equal to God. But He took upon Him not just the form of man. He didn't come to rule this earth as a king. But he came and made himself a servant. Matthew eight twenty, Jesus said, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. When he came to walk this earth, he didn't live in a palace. Though he could have ruled it all, it was his in the fullness thereof. But he didn't even have a house to live in. One of the things we consider a necessity in this life. No reputation. More than that, he humbled himself to take on something that is against the nature of God and that God is eternal. Christ emptied himself of that and was willing to take on death. Worse than just taking on death, he took our sins to that cross. Cross. 
He didn't want to. It wasn't pleasant for him. I don't know that we have the full record of what he prayed in the garden, but we know that when he went to the garden to pray, that the stress was upon him so heavily that he was sweating as great drops of blood. I've never been that stressed out in my life. Don't know if I can comprehend it. And he prayed to God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But what did he do? But thy will be done. And he went to the cross. For the good of others, he looked out at the crowd around him that was spitting upon him, that was encouraging him to come down off the cross if he was the Son of God. You say you're God's Son, come down from the cross. And he prayed, Father, forgive. He was willing to put himself at the feet of everyone there. And not just at the feet of everyone there, but at our feet. And our service. To empty himself of all that he had for our good. How do you combat pride? Be like Jesus. That's exactly what Paul said to the church at Philippi. Let this mind be in you. And it's a very difficult thing to think about. It's a very difficult concept to grapple with and to grasp. But you've got to learn to put others ahead of yourself. To put the good of others ahead of the things that you want or sometimes even the things that you need. This flesh wants us to build ourselves up. God has called us to a higher calling. He's called us to love. The thoughts are yours this morning. I challenge you as you go throughout this week to examine your heart from day to day. To look at your motive behind things. Not just your reaction to things, but stop and think about your motive for your reactions. Judge those things out in your life and intentionally seek to be more loving to those around about you. Go to 1 Corinthians 13, look at those things and seek to make application of that in your life. Try to substitute your name in front of those things. Be that kind of person. If you do that, pride will, will cease to exist in your life. We've talked about the sacrifice of Christ this morning. What He gave and what He was willing to give for each of us. We offer an invitation. It's not ours, but it's His. As His church, we offer that invitation this morning to serve on His behalf, to lift you up to God. If you need to be baptized this morning, we offer that. If you need the prayers of the church for any reason, we humbly submit our service to you this morning. Won't you come and have a seat as we stand and as we sing?